Welcome to Sporting Classics TV Podcast, powered by the Ram 1500, built to serve. It's time for another Sporting Classics Podcast, and Chris, this week we're talking about something near and dear to your heart, but it's near and dear to all of our hearts, right? Our dogs. Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't love a great gun dog, especially? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I grew up with gun dogs. I, I started getting dogs when I was, I think, seven. I was, I got my first bird dog when I was seven years old. And, and so we, you know, we did a lot of learning together. <laughs> I think the dog trained me more than I trained the dog. But, but I got an old book by Henry P. Davis, and the old, old folks listening to this might recognize that name. He was one of those guys, I think back in the 40s and 50s, that wrote uh, several books on training pointing dogs. And those books were sort of the definitive works on gun dog training back then. Of course, everything's changed with e-collars and all that kind of stuff. I actually used his method to force break up an English setter of mine using the Webster Price Retrieving Yolk, <laughs> which was a board with like a little bit of a noose on it that you put over the dog's head and you, you pulled it tight and that sort of made the dog open its mouth a little bit and you'd put the bumper inside of it and of course release that and that was the enforcement to the, you know, the positive reinforcement to, okay, once you grab that thing, I'm going to let go of the pressure so you're not going to choke anymore, right? Anyway, it was just, you know, I've, I've loved gun dogs. I used to field trial uh, setters and, and pointing dogs in Wisconsin growing up. And, and uh, gosh, I was in, I think I was 12, 13 years old. I started field trialing in hunting dog trials with my English setter. And then I had a setter that, that won seven or eight field trials in a row. It's just a buzzsaw, this dog was incredible, but I had access to lots of wild pheasants close to my house, and so I worked that dog almost every day. So I don't, I don't know that any other dog could really have that kind of access to wild birds. These were truly wild pheasants, they weren't released birds. So it, it just became this you know, love affair of gun dogs and watching dogs work scent, and, and the transformation of, of how that just changes a, a hunting experience is, is such that I remember Gun Dog Magazine. I think Steve Smith might have been the guy who created this line in the uh, in the writer's guidelines, and they said this about the the readers of that magazine: Our readers are, are, are the folks that, if given the choice between between taking either a gun or a dog, would just choose the dog. They wouldn't go with a gun, and and that's kind of I think speaks to what a gun dog brings to the whole experience. So yeah, I've. I've always loved gun dogs. I've got a great lab, a Wild Rose lab right now that uh, is just incredible. And, and we've got a field cocker that I adore. And, you know, who knows what I'm going to get next. Yeah, I love watching their different personalities and just watching them work. You can get, you know, maybe one will have the tail locked in. One just can't help but give it a little bit of a shake. And Yeah, and they're all different personalities, just yeah. like people, you know. And, and when you get a puppy, I mean, it's there's a lot of parallels between raising kids, you know. It's... It's, you know, there's a lot of training going on either way, a lot of laughter, a few tears along the way. And, but when you get a dog that, that can basically read your mind, you know, that when you go afield, you can look at a marsh, and I could do this with my old setters, you know, you could look at that marsh and go, if there is a pheasant in that marsh, that dog is going to find that pheasant. It's just locked, automatic, it was so good, just a buzzsaw. And, uh, and so that was a lot of fun. And, uh, but yeah, they're, you know, they're living with you. They're, they're part of the family the rest of the year, right? So the amount of time you spend in the field pales in, in comparison to how much time they're sitting next to you watching a football game or by the fire or, 
you know, trying to sneak treats from guests or whatever, you know. So, but that's, you know, that's the whole romance of these things. These dogs are, are just pieces of the family now, you know. What are your thoughts on, you know, training them yourself? Like you said, you spend a lot of time growing up with your dogs versus sending them out to a pro, sending them to a kennel. Yeah, you know, I think for a lot of folks, a, a pro trainer is a, is a great option. And, and if you don't have a ton of time, if you're traveling a lot or, or whatever, you know, do justice to the dog and to the breed and, and to the breeding of that dog. Um, if it's a great hunting line and, and get it with somebody who's going to spend the, the, the right amount of time and, and really work with that dog to make it a great hunting dog. I think that's a great investment. Of all things you can spend money on, a, a, a good trainer is, uh, is right up there as far as I'm concerned. Premium guns and a good dog trainer, those are two things that, that you can always spend money on and, and feel like you've, you've invested wisely. So yeah, I've, I've used pro trainers. Uh, in fact, Scott Miller at Braze Island Plantation, our, our resident, Bill Belichick, he's a, a multiple champion, national champion pointing dog trainer. He's a guru of of pointing dogs, but he's also people, you know, I, I'm not even sure people understand how great he is with cockers at Braze Island. He's a fantastic trainer of kind of all dogs, but pointers and cockers have now, you know, evolved to have this symbiotic relationship where the pointing dog, say to wing and shot, locks up on quail, you know, the cockers release then to flush the quail and, and, <laughs> and, uh, I think to a, a bobwhite quail, a, a field cocker must look like Godzilla. I mean, they just cannot escape fast enough. Once, once one of these cockers starts vibrating through cover, man, the quail are just, they're just getting the hell out of there. They want to they get as far away from a cocker as they possibly can. And that's, of course, you know, I'm, I'm chuckling as I'm saying it because I'm picturing that scene and it's comical, it's fun, it's funny, yet it's, it, it serves a terrific purpose because if you can be stable, you're not going in trying to kick the cover and tripping over brambles and all that kind of stuff. You can be stable, let the cocker get in and flush. It's safe, it, it helps your shooting, but it's theatrical. It's a lot of fun to watch and, and it's really been a, a great thing to have this cocker in this lab and, and they're, my goodness, I think my wife would get rid of me before those dogs. <laughs> and I'm probably not alone in all that. Is there one breed? Is it is it the black lab? I mean, is there one breed that's the king of sport dog? Or is you know, yeah, I mean, just in terms of numbers of dogs and, and sporting dogs, the, the lab certainly yeah. dominates all that. But, you know, for me, I, I love English setters. I've, I grew up with English setters and spent a lot of time in the field with them. They're very soft dogs, very personable dogs, and yet great hunting dogs. But, I, you know, I've got friends that love their pointers and, and those pointers are terrific pets as well as, as being great hunting dogs. So, you know, I think it really just comes down to, there's a lot of good breeds out there. It comes down to how much time do you put in and do you spend with your pup and, and your dog all the way through the, the cycle. And the more time you are around a dog, the more they pick up your personality, your nuance, your moods, and they read you very, very well. And, sure. and it's really incredible. So when you see a guy who, hops in his pickup truck and the dog is right with him and hops on the other side of the pickup truck and spends all day with that guy, that dog is gonna be perfect. That dog's gonna know every subtlety of, of his master. And, uh, and that's just kind of the way it goes. If a dog sits in a kennel, doesn't get out very often, doesn't have a lot of interaction with you, generally it's just gonna be tougher to get them to do what you want them to do. You know, it, it's because so much of communication or so much of training is communication between the owner and the dog. And that, that comes through direct training, but so much is just through nuance and, and a dog reading human instinct and, and you know, behavior, so.
Yeah. Sure. And there's something almost primal. I mean, man's yeah. been hunting with dog about as long as mankind's been around. So. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, I saw a great quote the other day. In fact, this is in my upcoming wing shooting book. I forget who said it, but it was something to the effect of, it's okay not to have a dog, but there might be something wrong with your life if you don't have a dog. So <laughs> it's like, there you go. I was talking to a cat person who told me his cat has diabetes, and I didn't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's dog people and there's cat people, and, and they're just a little bit different, I guess. We wish them the best. Yeah, amen. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. You bet. This has been Sporting Classics TV Podcast, powered by the Ram 1500, built to serve. Follow Sporting Classics with Chris Dorsey on Instagram and Facebook at Sporting Classics TV.